0: Talent and hard work, and then you combine the two, like, I was like, okay, this is what I'm good at. And if I lean into this and work really hard at being good at what I already have a little advantage in, then I might be able to become elite in it. And so that was part of the decision of being a big wave guy. I'm Justin Jay.
1: As a photographer, I've gotten to shoot rock stars, hip-hop moguls, world-class athletes, and some other truly extraordinary subjects. I'm fascinated by the backstories and life experiences that help shape these compelling people. The right photograph can reveal quite a lot about someone, but some stories can't be told with just a picture. Sometimes you need to sit down, listen, and dig a little deeper. This is The Plug. We can all relate to the frustration of being grounded by a parent at some point in our lives. You imagine your friends all out together having an unprecedented level of fun while you're stuck at home. The disappointment of missing out on the excitement feels devastating. Today's guest recently experienced a similar brush with FOMO. The Cow is one of the most prestigious and highly anticipated events in surfing. Competing in the contest can be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for big wave servers to showcase their skills and courage. Sadly, a recent back injury forced our guest to withdraw from the competition. He watched from the sidelines as his friends surfed some of the best waves in Waimea history. So how does one balance the exhilaration of witnessing one of the most thrilling days in competitive surfing with the exasperation of not getting to participate in it? we'll find out as we sit down for a chat with the younger brother of a two time world champion who's worked tirelessly to make a name for himself by surfing some of the most consequential waves on the planet. Today big wave surfer, social media personality, and North Shore native, Mr. Nathan Florence. Yep. Perfect. Thanks. All right. Cool. Let's get into this. Nathan Florence good to see you man. Thanks for taking time out. Yeah, thank you for having me. Stoked to be on the show. So I'll just jump right in. The Nate and Koa podcast. I'm loving it. You guys are what, like four episodes in now?
0: Dude, It's so we've been wanting to start like a few months. We were like just kind of sandbagging around, procrastinating. We we're always laughing because we're like, we're the biggest procrastinators that we know of each other. So we're laughing. We didn't start it for months, even though we wanted to. Um, and it started because we both went on Bert Kreishner's podcast and he was like, Dude, you guys are like epic together. You need to start one. We were like, we both have YouTube channels. We're both pretty busy, and we're like, you know what? Let's do something together. We have these big audiences. Like, it'll be a easy jump start. And so we started it roughly 15 days ago. We have four episodes. We're gonna film another one this week, and we've hit. I think we're at like twelve case, twelve thousand subs on YouTube. Already monetize the channel, killing it. We're having the best time doing it. Like we're like looking at each other, like this is the best thing we ever did.
1: Wow. Well, I mean, the thing is, I, I I binged I binged a couple shows this week, and you know, obviously, you guys have a great rapport, and obviously, you have a lot of insight into not just surfing, but specifically like the North Shore and the culture. But I think what what my favorite part about it is like you guys just seem like you're having fun, like, and it really translates into the show. It's it's it's, it's a fun listen.
0: Yeah, dude. Well, that was that's part of it. Is like we would sit we're hanging out you know we're best friends so we're surfing and when we're not surfing we're doing that what we're what that show is is what we're doing together like on a weekly daily basis because we're friends you know so we were like dude we're always talking about this stuff anyway people will find it interesting it's just surf geek mode stuff so like let's just do it and give it to everyone else and have them our communities be a part of our conversations
1: Um, You know, the format of a podcast is a little bit more controlled than, you know, maybe some of the other stuff you're used to, like a vlog where you just kind of put up a session and then maybe talk about it. Uh, Like, what have been some of the challenges that you've experienced, like translating to a podcast format? I mean, did it come pretty natural or have you guys noticed improvement?
0: So it's interesting. It's it's easier than I would say the vlog situation is because it's like you said, you base it off a surf or a day or or something like that. Whereas the podcast is just a conversation. And it's funny because you, you can sit there and like, I I was worried like, Oh, maybe we'll like, they'll be too short. We'll run out of things to talk about or whatever. But because we're just having like a pretty natural conversation, all of a sudden I'll look and I'll be like, dude, we're 45 minutes in. I got to edit this thing. Like, let's cut it. (laughs) Like I'm kind of sure like we found we'd have a really easy time doing them. Um, so we're pretty stoked. No difficulties yet. Uh, the only difficulty we had was like setting up, like, we both have these nice podcast mics. We do not know how to use them. And so they just <laughs> sit there. We have two handy cams. And this is the most hilarious thing. We don't have a studio or anything. Every location we filmed in has been different. We just put two handy cams on the countertop or like a pile of books and we sit down, press record, and upload that.
1: <laughs> well, it, it's funny. I know. I mean, I, I think standards are slowly rising again, but it was pretty fascinating during COVID when, you know, this, the standards of broadcasting pretty much just went out the window and you had like literally like network newscasters, like, In their living room with like an
0: an internet mic, you know. I mean, like the level of
1: expectations have really been lowered over the last couple years. Yeah,
0: totally. But but on that point, it's to me like I'm so I'm such a geek for content and what works and what doesn't, and what what I've found is like because of that, and because people are can and will relate to that to this less produced setup, they interact more and they feel like they're part of it more, and almost the less produced it is the more they can feel like they get it and they're that person is similar to them. And when they feel that connection, then they're like a way more hardcore subscriber or fan or listener, you know? And so it's almost to me like content has been straight. It went to this crazy pinnacle of production. Who's the most produced and on it and cleanest and best editing and transitions and all that to like, let us just show us the raw. We want to see everything.
1: Yeah, because something something produced like that, that already exists. It's called a TV show, you know?
0: Yes, dude, so true.
1: Um, well, I have to say, you know, after a year and a half of emailing back and forth, I do take some solace in the fact that even you have not been able to get your brother, John John, on the podcast yet. So,
0: so. <laughs> oh my God. Dude. He's, a, he's a hard get. <laughs> he is the biggest recluse ever. And like, I heard Coach, like, let's get him on. I'm like, I already know how this is going to go. He'll be like, yeah, 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 tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And then, like, if he knows I'm calling to ask about it, he won't answer. Like, he's so funny. But the guy's a fucking, he's got so much going on. He's a world champ. He's just yeah. got all these asks, and he just, I get it. He's I like, totally
1: understand. I just like you can't you
0: can't help but ask. He's getting good at just throwing hard no's out.
1: <laughs> for someone who's booking this show, I have the utmost respect for a hard no. I I it's yep. the yes and then it never happens that's that's anguishing, you know. Totally. Um, you know, so we had speaking of we had Pat O'Connell on the podcast recently, and yeah. we were talking specifically about John John's pretty conscious choice to have a relatively small social media footprint and instead focus on starting his brand and developing Florence Marine X. And it seemed yeah. like you you chose a really different path. It seemed like you've really leaned into social media and really leveraged that as a tool to help you lead the lifestyle and surf you know, big waves and travel and do all the things you get to do. Is the difference in those two approaches, is that a product of the differences in your personalities between the two of you? Or am I reading too much into it? In other words, like you get up in the morning, you have to film something put it online, put it out for the world. Does that come easier to you than to him?
0: It does. So it's interesting. Um, it's kind of like two parts. One personality, I think, although John has a similar personality, it's just not socialized. It's, it's He doesn't want it to be out in a social environment. It's just for his very close crew. Um, the funny thing about John is I would say, oh, it's content. It's like I love putting out content, but he loves that too. It's just different. He has been doing this content thing since before I can remember, like he was editing his own things on iMovie. He edited his first films. And when surf movies were big, he was really into it. He made he made a ton of films at the time. Um, he was taking the GoPro out and filming. He was hiring me when I was a kid, and I was like, I wanna go sandside. He's like, can you just film me for one hour? I would sit on the beach and film him for one hour then I would go run and play in the show break. You know, like he he was all about content and he's been that way his whole life. View from a Blue Moon, he's made some of the best surf films ever made. Still to this day, he's putting out tons of stuff. He has his own production company Paralysis. So he is a content geek as much as I am. It's just in a different way. He loves a good edit, a good film, a good quality, crazy, red cinematic experience versus I'm way more like now, 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 this happened, it's up. I want to put it up. I want to do the vlog thing. I'm gonna be into Instagram. You know, like he's totally tuned out of his Instagram. He doesn't. He doesn't care for it. It takes too much mental energy from him. He wants to just go surfing, be the best surfer he can, and take the time and make a really great edit down the road. Whereas I'm like, no. I want to bring this surf experience to the people following me. You know, I want to give it to them immediately. And and I have a better, I think, personality. My personality is more like socializing. So I have a better personality for that type of content. It's two different, it's the different sides of the coin. I'm the vlog Instagram guy, instant gratification for subscribers and followers. Whereas he's like, he's like, no, I'm going to come out with an insane edit once a year.
1: And it seems like there's there's really room for both of those lanes. I mean, if you, if you look at like what, there's there's kind of these like mini media empires that are starting on the North Shore between, uh, you know, Koa Smith, J.O.B., yourself. I mean, and, and some of the followers, not necessarily even surf fans, you know, it's, it's,
0: yeah. it's a lifestyle brand. Totally. You'll see the ones that will get cold out. There's guys that are like, they complain about the YouTube life or having to always put out content. And like, I've never, I've never had the thought of like, this sucks. Like I have fun doing it. I enjoyed doing it. It comes really easy to me. I have so much footage stacked up from that summer, that I'm just trying to edit through like, if I, could add, if I had a team of 10 editors, I could have put out 10 times the amount of edits and sessions, There's so many sessions that have not been seen. You know, like I have an insane time doing it. But I hear some of these other guys complaining about it. They're like, oh man, what am I gonna put out this week? What am I gonna produce this week? And I'm like, you're thinking about it the wrong way. Like, What are you trying to produce if you're running a vlog? A vlog is like a, video, a daily video log, right? Like you're overthinking it. You're not trying to make a film. You're just trying to give people an insight into your daily life. Yeah, that's so interesting.
1: Um, so, you know, we're in the middle of one of the best North Shore winters in recent memory. I mean, some of the best competitive surfing in recent memory. The most prestigious surf contest the Eddie cow just ran under just jaw-dropping conditions. You were not able to participate in that event due to an injury. And as a big wave surfer, I, I can't even imagine, like, the heartbreak that you must have felt that day. Um, you know, I mean, John, your brother, he's no stranger to having to sit out high profile events due to injury as well. I mean, did you guys talk about that at all? I mean, did, did he have any perspective for you?
0: Dude, that's a great question. Yeah. Um, it's funny. A lot of people were like, dude, how did, how did it feel to sit out of that? And and this, but not many asked that question of like, Oh, you should go and take advice from John who's had that same experience. And I did, I told him like, as I'm just, I'm very open with how I feel and, and what I'm thinking. And I, and I hated to miss that event. Like, It just killed me. Like, I was like, I'm not even going to go down there. And I went down there, and I didn't walk away for nine hours. I just stared. I watched every single heat. I watched every single ride. Because I'm a fan of big wave surfing at the end of the day. And it was the best day ever, and it was the worst day ever. Because the more historical it got and the bigger the sets got, the more sad I got I wasn't out there sharing those moments with my friends. Um, And I did talk to John after, and, and before, during, after... He laughed during he's like, dude, I know, like this sucks. Like he's like, Oh my god, I feel bad. I don't even I don't even want to tell you anything about my experience because he's like I, you already know, but, but he was like, dude, nowadays like he's like it all just passes. Like, you know, the way things are these days, a week will go by and everyone will be on to the next event and, and, and not everything is so all consuming and all important as it seems to be. And he kind of told me that. And he's like, I, "That and I, and I took it as like, dude, that's so true. Like, they, w- there will be another year. It will run. I'll have another chance. There's going to be another season. There's going to be another shootout. There's going to be another crazy historical swell at some point, even if it takes 10 damn years to do it. <laughs> you know, so it made me feel better. And I was just like, oh, whatever. I've had a great year. Don't need to push it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I did think it was interesting that, Kelly Slater, he had a seat in the event and chose not to surf. I guess he got up and just wasn't feeling it. Maybe he had a premonition that he was going to get hurt or perhaps worse. But I mean, did you see the cruel irony in one of the most competitive surfers in history choosing not to be in an event that you wanted to be in but couldn't because of an
0: injury? I mean, what was that all about? Yeah, no, I didn't even think about it that way. But I, I related to him. I knew exactly like. If you know, you know, dude, some days you wake up, you wake up and and you know it's not your day. You're like, you're like, I just don't feel it. Like, I'm not excited. You have all of the fear that comes with one of those swells. Usually it's good fear. It's you're scared and you're like, oh, like I'm going to get it today. But some days you wake up and you just don't feel good. You don't, you feel like your reflexes are slow. You feel like, ah, I don't really even, I don't know if I want to be out there and I respect Kelly so much for making that decision, especially the way he is—how competitive he is. Like he's still doing the tour after that insane career, you know? Like he's still all about it. But him, like just knowing to be like, "Nah, I'm not gonna push it on the day I don't feel it." Yeah,
1: I could tell from his interviews. I mean, he was torn too, but you gotta respect just the the trust that he had in himself to to, to walk away from that.
0: One hundred percent. And and to me, like that's him knowing himself to the point of he's like hey I don't feel it but if I go out there I'm 100% not gonna just like there's guys out there that don't aren't as competitive so they'll go out and they're older there's a few guys in the event they didn't try to go sit in the inside bowl and catch the biggest gnarliest doublet they rode some nice fun waves like look at Shane and Pete Mel they're like high-fiving on an insane fun wave like gnarly still it's giant Waimea but they're not, like, going all, all out ballistic. Kelly, he, he doesn't knows have that gear, well enough yeah. to be like, if I'm in that heat, I'm going to push myself really deep. I'm going to sit next to John. I'm going to try and go on something really, really crazy. And if he's not feeling it, then he makes that call to be like, no, I'm not even going to allow myself to put myself there. And on top of it, the guy that gets in because Kelly pulls out People may not realize that this is Chris Owens, who's like the biggest diehard Waimea fan there is. Not just Eddie fan, but like his dream has always been to be in the Eddie. I cannot believe he has never been just an invitee. Like this guy lives and breathes specifically big waves in Waimea. He's up at 4 a.m. every day. He's at the coffee shop by Foodland. He's forecasting Waimea all the time. He's older now and he's out there on the biggest days of every session of every winter, sitting the deepest, catching the best waves. Like, like the guy that got in, although he was injured and he was bummed he couldn't compete at his fullest, the guy that got in, Chris Owens, because Kelly pulled out, like that was just like the coolest thing. That was like best case scenario. It was like a a lifeguard winning the Eddie, you know, like it was like a micro of that.
1: That's, that's a pretty cool gift. Yeah. So even an incredibly gifted and talented surfer like Philippe Toledo, for instance, has has been criticized in the past for just not having it in his constitution to throw himself over ledges and surf waves of consequence like what you do all the time. And I'm and I'm curious, like, where where does that desire come from for you? Like is it as simple as the reward from a big wave when everything goes right is worth the risk and the consequence of when it doesn't? I mean, is it that simple or is it something deeper?
0: It is that simple um, for one level. It's also, I think you gotta think about it into, like for me, it was, I leaned into that because that to me was a strength and something I showed promise in versus like small wave technical surfing. Like I just, it was just so, such a struggle and uphill battle and I just didn't put the time in, but I knew like as soon as I did something in higher consequence, my body reacted in a way. My instincts were faster. I made things I didn't think I could make. And it, to me, that was a strength. And I was like, I'm going to lean hard into a strength. It's that age-old thing, like talent and hard work. And then you combine the two. Like I was like, okay, this is what I'm good at. And if I lean into this and work really hard at being good at what I already have a little advantage in, then I might be able to come become elite in it. And so... That was part of, like, the decision of being a big wave guy. And as far as going back to your question of, like, is it a, just a different mindset? It really is. It is a different thing. You have to enjoy it, you know? Like, you see, I, I look at it now as, like, the younger generation. I see it happening. Say 10 of them are come up as surfers. One or two are going to be going out on the big days. You'll see them all, all of a sudden start surfing. Why, man? They're ordering guns. They want it. And you'll see eight or nine... They're over it and they go heading into competition. It's just like maybe you're just built that way. To me, it's like some some are just built in that they react to fear differently and they react in an on way versus a turned off way.
1: Have you have you had a change in perspective being married and in terms of facing consequence and and the notion of danger?
0: I have not. Um I've been with my wife for 10 years, maybe going on 11 now. And so, we've only been we've been married 2 or 3 years now, but so I feel like I've been married a lot longer. We've <laughs> been like 10 years, but yeah, I I feel like that'll happen with kids. And I feel like I've seen that happen with other big wave surfers when they've had a child come into the mix. Um, but no, like my wife is as motivated as I am. And she's so into her career as well. And we're both like, and we both understand like what needs to be done. That no no change, no holding back as far as that. The only times I felt something like that was this year we did a lot of solo traveling. Uh, not solo traveling, it was just me and my wife. But I had some sessions where I was, usually, you know, I'm out there, it's my life is in my friend's hands. And when something goes wrong, like I'm going to be able to, go in and get them or they're going to come get me. But all of a sudden, when I was surfing some of these dangerous slabs um, in northern Europe and the only person on the beach was my wife and it's freezing water, that was when I thought about it and I was like, you know what, if something goes bad right now, I get knocked unconscious. She's on the beach with a handy cam. She don't have a wetsuit, nothing. Like, yeah. this is going to traumatize her and be so bad for her. Like, I cut those sessions out just because... In case anything went wrong, I did not want her to have to live with the trauma of having to try to do something and, and fail because it's just too fucking gnarly of a situation. Yeah. Uh, water's too cold and she don't have a wetsuit and the waves are too big and then her maybe perish because she's trying to I didn't I I was like, I cannot put her in that situation ever again. So like yeah. there was that. But as far as pushing in those sessions when there is the safety teams and everything like that, it's full steam ahead. Awesome.
1: So, you know, I've gotten to photograph a lot of musicians over the years, and there's this common theme that they talk about of like the energy of the crowd and how that affects their performance. And I've been fortunate enough to shoot on stage at some really big festivals with hundreds of thousands of people. And there's definitely something there. There's there's an energy. But I mean, that description is largely metaphorical. I mean, when you're surfing Waimea or Jaws, like there's literal energy in the water. There's literal energy hundreds of tons of water moving back and forth i mean what what do you get from that is it is it humility or is it inspiration or what what does that connection feel like
0: it's so interesting because when it goes bad it it causes you to feel so small like when you fall on a jaw's wave or one of these big waves you become this pinprick thing like you are so overpowered, so beyond overpowered in that situation that you have you're forced to take everything as like second by second. Let's see if I survive. Like I I can only do so much here. I can pull my vest and I can hope for the best, but like this wave is so powerful, it will 100% do what it wants with me. And then that that <laughs> that moment of no choice, you know, like you're for sure going over the falls or you've taken the drop and you're falling in 100%. There's no getting out of it. There's no option. There's no, Hey, I'm going to lean into this or, Hey, no, I'm going to back out of this. Like you're already in it. And that, that feeling is, is part of why it makes it so epic in big ways, because some of my most high experiences on adrenaline have been from big wipeouts versus like The wave of my life, or something. That's a different kind of high. The big wipeouts and having survived and put yourself into that situation of like helplessness is just a crazy, crazy feeling. And it just shows you, gives you such respect. As soon as you conquer a few waves, you might think, hey, like, I can read the ocean. Like, maybe I've got an edge. It quickly shows you, like, no, you're nothing compared to this swell that's moved across the Oceans across oceans, thousands and thousands of miles. This pure form of energy, in the form of a wave, is coming, and it just shows you, like, <laughs> you, bro, you're so small, in what I'm doing. <laughs> I mean, you know? what is
1: that split second like? Let's say, for instance, when you know you're you're going over the falls, or you've made a mistake. I mean, is it akin to? You know, like when you, you stub your toe, there's a very specific amount of time between the impact and the sense of pain and it's a very specific time frame. Is that is it similar to that times a thousand? I mean you know it's coming.
0: Yes, definitely. You'll never, ever be more aware of your surroundings and your situation and yourself and in a state for me, it becomes this insane narrowed state of readiness. And I see so much like people are like, you know, just stay calm. I've never felt calm. Like, is your heart rate just cruising at 80 going over on a 25 foot? Like, are you going to be calm? No, you're like 160, like pure dump of adrenaline into your system. And every time I'm doing this, all I can think is just bracing body and in a complete state of readiness, like as if your whole mind is clear, Your all your reflexes, all your peripheral, all your senses are completely open and ready just to react to whatever happens and hope it's in the benefit.
1: Wow,
0: that's fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cool little thing that happens. And, and I believe it's just like people are like, you revert back to these really base instincts, back to probably what caveman instincts were before full conscious thought took over.
1: Wow, because, I mean, there's been a lot of injuries on the North Shore, very experienced big wave surfers. Well, obviously yourself... Um, Billy Kemper, Makua Rothman. And, you know, even as a intermediate surfer at best, like I've, I've experienced some harrowing situations like in head high waves. Like how does somebody survive a 25 foot wipeout or how does somebody survive a 15 foot wipeout at pipe? I mean, is there some analogy between let's say a pro skater who attempts a trick 50 times and falls on the concrete and is relatively unscathed as opposed to somebody who maybe doesn't have the skill set of knowing how to fall and they try it once and they're in the hospital. I mean, is there, a, is there an
0: analogy there? 100%. 100% it is the same in surf. There is better ways to fall. And you learn that over only being in the sport for a long time. Um, you learn to move your body in ways and if you're getting pulled over, you can thrust yourself out of the lip to avoid the main impact. There's, there is small things that become instinctual that you do and you and you see that with like the people that often get sometimes get injured are in smaller waves is like they'll have the same injury as like a pro would have in a really big situation and oftentimes those are like where you have absolutely no control of your body movement and you slam the reef when the elite will get injured but in the smaller stuff you'll see someone get injured with the same injury or something because simply because they let themselves fly through the water head first. Like if I'm moving through the water head first, I'll pivot my body. I'll spin my body to where I'm hoping my hands are going to be hitting whatever's coming at me. Um, There's a sixth sense that kind of happens and you can talk to other servers about it. It's like I've had my eyes completely closed and whether it's just us being underwater so much that you, it's some instinctual reading of pressure and depth, but I've completely eyes closed spinning known the reef was coming and just put my hand out just in like just exactly where I thought it would be, put my hand out, to reef, blocked, a hit, or just known and turned the last second and got my hands in front of me or my elbows and knees in front of me before the reef has come up to meet me. Like talked about this with my friends, my brothers, other surfers, same experiences. So, I mean, it seems like, you know, you can have endurance
1: training, you can have breath control and all of this preparation, but I mean, you're
0: gonna get lit up eventually if you're surfing waves like that, A hundred percent. At the end of the day, it's Russian roulette. Like, it's the issue. And to me, it's insane that there isn't more deaths and injuries. The amount people are surfing waves of consequence now, the numbers, the sheer odds are so high. I, I just, like, you see those big Tahiti sessions where guys are towing and not making those 25-foot waves on a, on a slab, a reef, and you're just like, how? How did you not die? Like, maybe there's mechanics going on. Maybe it's water hitting an immovable object, and so you just get brushed away, like weird things going on like that. But uh, you would have to bring in a physicist to break that down. But I I believe the injuries will increase if we increase at this rate of pushing.
1: But what about breakdown? Like, to the uninitiated, you look at, say, Jaws versus Waimea, they're just like, oh, they're just two big, massive waves. But like, for Waimea, which generally, isn't really like a barreling wave,
0: yeah. Waimea is a more of a slab for sure. Um, and it actually is a barreling wave, it's a great wave. And I saw waves during the eddy that blew their guts out into the channel, like wow. But everyone is so c- content with trying to just go straight on these waves, and it's been happening for so long in Waimea that that's just how the, that people think the wave is surf. Like, I 100% believe you gave the top five young guys, a session out there on a day that they're not competing for the Eddie, but their focus is to pull in and get barrel and make it, you're gonna see 20 foot barrels get ridden and made at Waimea, wow. 100%. But every day it's breaking and it's not in the event, there's 15 guys going straight on the shoulder. You know, Waimea is a crazy barreling wave, and so is Jaws, but they're just surfed differently. And Waimea is more of a slab. It comes out of the deep water and hits a single shelf. It doesn't peel like Jaws does, you know? Um, So they're different structured waves, but they both are big barreling waves. So, I mean, what, what percentage would you say of
1: being a good surfer is the physical agility of standing on a wave, riding a board, versus the entire knowledge of being able to read the ocean of, like, when to paddle out, where to sit, where not to be. I mean, is that what separates somebody like a Kelly
0: Slater from a pretty good surfer? 100%. You can take an incredible athlete, perfect agility, super fit, crazy endurance, and if and and if they don't surf or do water sports, you put them on a surfboard in the water and they're going to look like the clumsiest athlete you've ever seen in your life, you know? It takes that years of ocean reading combined with that fit athlete to get something like a kelly or a jamie or a john where they're reading so much subtle clues in that the ocean is giving and positioning themselves to be in the perfect spot at the perfect time they're reading the angle of set waves thinking oh because of the angle of this one two minutes out that wave set coming is probably going to be a more westerly direction i'm going to paddle deeper at pipe like that's the kind of forward reading of the ocean that one can develop with years and years and years of being in the ocean and looking at waves. But on top of that, some just have a little better reading. And then that's what creates the Johns and the Kellys and the Jamies. And I say those three because pipe is such a good place to measure that. You will see those guys, even with a hundred guys out, they are always somehow right there in the best spot. And you'll see them randomly be sitting there and they'll just all of a sudden take off paddling and there's there's no there's no wave they're paddling for but two minutes later a wave appears over there and you're like what the heck? I have that ability too but I feel like they have it just a, 10 seconds before you know it's, it's an edge over yeah. the
1: average and it's fascinating because I mean, to, to, people who don't know that I'm, there's a similar situation with photographers, like I've been around people that are just like, how does this guy always seem to be in the right place at the right time to get the shot? Yep. And they're like, well, it's not by accident. I'll tell you that much.
0: No, you have a sense for when that shot's going to come.
1: Yeah. And, and just an experience too, you, you years of observation, you know, doing yes. what you do. Totally. Um, and do you, do you think that skill set has the potential to be lost with so much emphasis on wave pools and the kind of gymnastics of, of aerials and, and that type of surfing? 100%.
0: The wave pools, there'll be a generation of wave pool surfers and it probably won't carry over into the ocean. But it, maybe it'll develop in itself as a sub-sport, you know? It's really weird to learn the wave pool timing, go from ocean to wave pool and then go back. And so I don't, I don't think like... Maybe new tricks, new tricks that you can practice and feel out a new grab or a new flip and then eventually get that one out of a hundred air section that mimics it in the ocean. But reading, no, it's going to throw you off majorly to be thinking you're going to go from a wave pool where it's the same every single time to the ocean where it's just chaos. Never the same. No.
1: Um, so I want to talk about your relationship with your brother for a second. And I'm sure so many people are constantly asking you like, oh, are you guys competitive? And, you know, I've heard you say that you're actually, are actually really not that competitive largely because you almost put him on a different level than yourself. And then those, those lines are so clearly drawn, you know, he's two-time world champion, phenomenal surfer. But it seems like in the last couple of years, I mean, you've really been able to come out from underneath his shadow and really establish yourself as like a very experienced, you know, big wave rider. And, you know, it seems like so many fans growing up watching Andy and Bruce Irons and the rivalry between them, they find it hard to believe that you guys don't have some degree of that. And I'm wondering, has your relationship or the rivalry between you guys, has that changed over the course of the years with your successes?
0: We're super competitive, but it's not in like. We're competitive in our sessions and on land, and we we play a game of chess, and it can get so competitive that one won't shake the other's hand after the game. Like you know, like there is that that competitive. We could play anything. We could play a game of tennis, and someone might throw a racket. Like f- mad, angry, severe competition. There is that kind of kind of competition, but. When it comes down to, like, I guess it's the question of, like, people are often, like, who do you think's a better surfer? Like, that to me has never been a question. Like, have I won world titles? There's no question there. Like, he's a two-time world champion, best surfer in the world. That's what that title is. If I don't have that title, how can I even ever say that, you know? Like, so there's no question there. Like, and that's why it's always been, like, I've utilized him as a resource. He's the best surfer in the world. How can I learn from him? How can I watch and study his carves and be, and try to take that and make it into my own surfing and and progress in my carves and high-speed surfing? And and how can I take what he's done or use him as a resource for my big wave stuff? Hey, what do you think about this wave? Like, what do you think could have been different or this and that? And, And so if anything, I think of him more as a mentor than someone I'm, I'm competing with. And I think that, like thinking about it now, that sums it up better as versus someone like an equal or like another kid in the class. He's more the teacher to how I feel. And does a student feel competitive with their teacher? I don't know. I don't really think so because you, you're just learning from them, you know? So that's a, it. Seems like a, that's a really
1: interesting way of putting it. Although there was there was one funny line in one of the one of your podcasts that I was listening to, and you were saying that you know, thank God John John didn't choose to do what we do, you know, in terms
0: <laughs> <Yeah. of laughs> devoting himself to, strictly to big wave riding. You know, dude, totally. Because if you've seen him in big waves, you know he's his he, his talent is insane. Because he's a crazy, crazy like analytical learner, right? He breaks down his own surfing like. And he has these sessions, and he breaks down his clips and the boards, and and what he did wrong on a micro movement of a micro turn, and then he goes back out and corrects it and tries it. And he he's already takes that talent into big waves. And if he did that and put that into big waves and chase the waves we chase, I think the the limits of what was possible would just be insane. Yeah.
1: And and do you find like his his level of talent and his successes? is it always inspiring to you or is it sometimes discouraging to you?
0: Um, not discouraging. I don't think, I think it's,
1: I'll put in perspective, like when I, when I was a photo assistant, for instance, like I worked for a lot of different people from my friends to some very famous photographers and the people who were like legendary, like I got to work with Richard Avedon, like I actually wasn't inspired by that. It kind of just made me depressed because you're like, I'm never going to be that good. And I kind of ironically found inspiration in the people who were like, not that good, and I was like, "Shit, I could totally do that," you know. And it's like, I mean, it's a, I, I could be that guy,
0: you know? Yeah, no, that just comes with accepting. Like, you gotta, you gotta accept the fact that some people are, like, you might be one percent, but some are point zero zero one percent, you know. Like, and you look at it in sports. There's dominant, dominant athletes, and maybe second, third, fourth are incredible athletes. They're beating ninety nine percent of normal people but they can never beat that 0.001%. You know, you got to like accept that some people are just built and happened to be in that sport that they were meant to be in and they're built for it and their mind is built for it and everything is made for it and everything clicks. So I I don't get discouraged. It's mostly inspiration. It also, it takes a certain level of of sacrifice and willingness to pursue yeah. that level of excellence. And,
1: and not everybody has that. And that's not
0: necessarily a bad thing. No, you have to be in love with what you're doing. And you ha- it's motivation. Like you see someone so dedicated to their craft like that, and you see the results coming from it. And that can be replicated. Like hard work can be replicated, you know? Yeah. I mean, we, we, we talked about this. We had Mick Fanning on the podcast. And,
1: you know, we talked about the this theme of, of personal sacrifice that it takes to be the best in the world. And, you know, it had his toll on, on personal relationships and his lifestyle and, you know, and all these things. And, you know, for somebody like yourself, for instance, if you love surfing, but you know, you're married and you like to laugh and you have a podcast and these other pursuits, it, it, it's really difficult to, to balance all those things and to be that 0.
0: 0.001%. It really is. You have to, you have to forsake all of those things. And, that's part of why I love what I do because I enjoy it. I get the best of both worlds. I have other hobbies, I have other things I can I can do and like a great example is like John loves sailing. he probably wants nothing more than to get on his boat and go explore and find new waves and new places. but this main priority goal of world titles is in the way of that, and he has to give that all of his focus before he can get to that other side of. Being content doing what he but he likes on the side, you know.
1: Yeah. Um, so I you mean, know, you and I originally met, and I, I've shot your brother a bunch. I spent you know ten plus winters over on the North Shore shooting a book project that I released called uh, HI One K: Ten Years, One Thousand Moments on the North Shore. I'm gonna get that yeah. plug in real quick. <laughs> you can buy it at HI. Got to do, it. <laughs> I do it. Uh, You can buy it at hi1k.com, or it's available at Surfers Journal as well. But you know, it seems like ten years is a relatively short amount of time in the grand scheme of things on the north shore and you know you've grown up there and you've been there pretty much your whole life obviously the waves are still as legendary as ever but what are some of the changes that you've noticed in the culture since say maybe you were a teenager like is it still as special is it still the country
0: it's different in the sense that it's not as like hardcore you know people aren't getting beat up on the beach anymore you can't do that you'll nowadays and there's a thousand guys with a camera you know like if, the, if, the, if North Shore was exploited before for a surf community, now that's 100-fold. You have random guys setting up on the beach with cameras and filming our whole sessions and uploading it before we get in. They're coming down and purely benefiting from us risking our lives. And I have a guy I'm yeah. paying on the beach to shoot for me, and I'm trying to get my video up and then these guys are just going down pressing record and uploading it and gaining because of the way content is now you know like it's the the place is honestly a crazy scene like it's a nightmare scene at times the traffic is horrendous there's so many surf dads moving in with their kids because they believe they have to have their kid in the water here on north shore and that's the only way they're going to make that world champion and so it's create this like crazy competitive ecosystem of ego and weirdness and like the whole thing of like when I was growing up like I never questioned an older guy in the water I never I didn't want to get in his way I didn't want him to look at me because I was just like I'm going to get yelled at and now you see like these kids these their dads or moms tell them go out there because you're a kid practicing you go on any wave you want my mom can't even get a wave at the beach breaks because there's a bunch of groms going hey 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 because their dad told them go get any wave they want like there's so much I feel like it's the same scene, but with just so much respect loss for uh, the hierarchy of surfing and surf courtesy at all. I mean,
1: is there is there a path backwards? Can you put can you put that genie back in the bottle? I mean, where does it go from here?
0: Oh yeah, I think I think where it goes is like it goes in reverse a little bit of like, all right, guys get fed up and they just start shutting it down completely. Like, fine, you send your kid out in the water, he's getting burned on every wave. There's no questioning that anymore. Like. If he's not gonna take his time then he's just gonna get stuff. Like or if you're in the water you're gonna start getting rousted or maybe someone like finds you on the bike path. Like people are getting fed up and getting frustrated and it's so competitive and it's like I could easily say this this winter could be like the I'm not, I'm missing the word for it, but the thing that sparks that back to a more controlled environment you feel like you've reached like a, a flashpoint of people
1: just you, it's it's untenable to continue with yes. this level of chaos It's
0: crazy man it's crazy there's guys out at pipe on 10-foot days that are out there to try and get a two-foot wave on a 10-foot day how does that make sense it's mind-blowing to me yeah or even or you would have thought there would be like kooks at Waimea going straight at Waimea and cutting it's people insane. off Insane. like i just don't know where the common sense is like i an analogy I always come back to is like I'm not the best snowboarder I don't show up and go to the mountain and go wow is that a super pipe I'm gonna go drop into that thing and try a backflip." or like oh are those guys are those pros jumping the 40 foot jump I think I'm gonna go try to learn in the landing that is the same as the guys that paddle out the pipe and try to catch a 2 footer on a 10 foot day it's like me going and buckling in my bindings on the landing of a giant super jump and hoping no one lands on my head like or going in and practicing my bike on a motocross ramp in the landing that's what these guys are doing like where is the common sense there's a place to learn like it's just insane to me like it's so
1: funny too like even even people when when people use the term you know i'd really like to try surfing i'm like try surfing that's like I like to try karate you know it's like it's not it's like a lifelong (laughs) pursuit you know it's like you're a perfect example of that it's like people commit their lives to not even just surfing but to surfing one particular wave whether it's YMA or pipeline I mean it's crazy
0: it's crazy dude like it's just the the it's the same thing with social media it's probably what causes. is everyone wants it now they want it yesterday they want to be good in no time at all but Nobody wants to take the time. It feels like everyone's work ethic is just gone. Yeah.
1: Well, we always like to end the podcast by by asking our guests to to plug something that they're not personally involved in, that they feel isn't getting enough attention, whether it's a book, a movie, uh, a surfer, a cause. Is there is there something you'd like to shout out and kind of give some attention to you think is well-deserved?
0: I would just say, I would just say that people seem to in surfing they seem to underestimate the value that subscribing to a surfer's youtube or following their instagram has on that surfer's career and i'm not saying to go follow me or subscribe to me i do pretty well on that side of things but like if there's a surfer you, you support as a fan base or an athlete you support like nowadays you have to understand the best way you can support them is to go and give them that follow or subscription that's their career and brands look at these athletes they will say, show us your social media. That's how they get paid. So if you have your favorite athlete out there, whether they're in any sport, skates, snow, surf, whatever, go ahead and give them the follow and give them like, you know, subscribe. It means a lot to them and it means you're gonna get to watch their career continue. It's weird times in all sports. Easy for people to lose their careers, you know, because maybe they're not the best at social media or they have all the talent, but they just can't get it into that, that media side. So I guess it's a big slept-on fact for the fan bases: is like if you want to support your guy, you don't need to give them money or do anything like that. Just click a button, like their post, or give them a follow. Like, it's literally the easiest thing you can
1: do. It's so like easy. You could not. You could not do less. hmm Yeah. Well, Nate, I really
0: appreciate you taking the time out, man. And um, how's your back feeling? Dude, it feels so good. Um, thank you for having me on the show. But yeah, I'm I'm training again. Don't tell my doctor. <laughs> do some kettlebell swings. Pretty much pain free at this point. Obviously, I am taking it easy. Like, I've been talked to by guys I look up to, like Dorian, and, then, and they're like, "Bro, do not mess with this back injury. Do not rush it." Um, so, I'm waiting on X-rays, and I'm getting X-rays every two weeks until the bone is completely healed before I do anything crazy. And so, but it's the recovery is going way faster than I thought, and so I'm super stoked, man.
1: Good. Well, I'm super, I'm super glad to hear that. And, um, I'm, I'm loving the podcast, even though, you know, you're stepping on my toes, you don't have enough presence. <laughs> so you gotta, you gotta get into the podcast game now too. Who are you, yep, Kelly? Taking you gotta... <laughs> <over>. <laughs> oh, well, I appreciate it, man. And, um, I hope to see you soon. I'm, I'm excited to uh, see some new clips of you out in the water.
0: All right. Thank you so much for having me, Justin. Have a good one.
1: Thanks for listening. And a huge thanks to today's guest for dropping in. If you enjoyed this episode, do us a favor and take a minute to rate, review, follow, or subscribe. This episode of The Plug was executive produced by Peter Buckingham with original theme music by Andrew Van Weingarten and Dan Drohan. Logo design and branding by Italic at www.italic-studio.com. Sound design by Brad Worrell at Soundwag. And you can check out my photography at justinj.com. Thanks again, and be sure to tune in for future conversations.
2: And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com/surf. That's linkedin.com/surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.